Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey beautiful, it's Dawn Chitty from the How My Parents Raised Me podcast. Is your soul screaming at you? Sometimes life moves so far from the life we were born for. There's so much expectation from friends and family about who we need to be to be acceptable, to be loved. There is so much judgment. There is so much fear. Do you find yourself in the routine of living an okay life, fitting in and doing all the right things and yet never really feeling it, never feeling into the awesome life you were born for. If you answered yes, I want to invite you to my brand new free group where I'll be jumping on live a couple of times a week to chat about all the things you need to know about living in your power, living in your truth. The link for the group is in the show notes, so please come and join me. You didn't come here to live your most average life. You came here to live your most magical life. I was sitting in the living room and he had cocaine inside of a dollar bill with a straw. And he told me, you know, you need to just take a line. And I said, well, what is that? And he showed me how to do it. And he said, I want you to do this. And I said, dad, I said, I don't want to do that. And he said, girl, just stay here. I'm trying to show you something and you sitting up there, you don't want to do something. And I'm trying to teach you something, you know, and, and then I took the line and 
you know, because I never wanted my dad to be angry with me. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello, my beautiful friends. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening I know so many of you are here every week with me and I want you to know that I appreciate you wholeheartedly. I am honoured that you would spend your time here to connect in with so many important stories. And if you could tell one other person about this podcast this week, it would be so helpful in getting these stories out to more and more people who need to hear them. And that is so important to changing what's happening in our world right now. The story that I'm sharing with you this week is full of so much emotion. There's something so deeply emotional about this story that really tugged at my heartstrings. This is Latasha's story and she shares the memories she has of a beautiful time with her dad When she was growing up, she shares how much she loved him. She was a daddy's girl. They would go and get ice cream and make root beer floats and she would ride her tricycle. These memories are so vivid because this was a special time in her life. Things were so good. But soon after, circumstances changed And Latasha began spending a lot of time with cousins and staying for years at a time with other family. And she got very lost because neither her mum or dad were now her primary caregiver. And so she became lost and lonely. And later in this story, we find out that as she got older and went back to live with her dad, she experienced the greatest betrayal of all. This is a trigger warning for you if you are triggered by themes of sexual abuse. Please take care as to whether you listen to this episode. Please join me now for Latasha's story. Latasha, welcome to the podcast. You are the author of a book called Breaking the Silence where you share your story 
of the years of abuse you suffered at the hands of family members and specifically your biological father. You are an author, speaker, life coach and entrepreneur and the founder of Horton's Love Self-Love Coaching Program. Can you tell us your earliest memories of growing up? My earliest memories of growing up was me. I was living in Detroit, Michigan with my mother. And I remember my father coming to get me. And he brought me back to Baltimore, Maryland, where I started growing up in Baltimore, Maryland. My father had a girlfriend at the time and I adored her. And she like took me in like as her daughter, you know, and I still love my mother. And she still to this day, she's my godmother and she's very actively involved in my life to, to this day. But I just remember those moments when my dad would watch me ride my tricycle up and down the street. I used to, you know, like he would be at the bottom of the steps and I would jump off the steps and, you know, cause my dad would catch me. And I just felt like my dad adored me and I just loved my dad growing up. I was just like a daddy's girl. When he would go to the store, we would go get um, Sunday ice creams and make the root beer floats. I don't know if you ever heard of a convenience store. It used to be called Highs. <laughs> it was like a 7-Eleven, but ours are called Highs. And he would get like ice cream and we would pour root beer soda on it and drink the root beer floats together. I used to love him taking me to McDonald's and IHOP to get pancakes when I was little. So I just, you know, just those days was just, it was just, I adored my father and I just missed that time, you know, as I started getting older, you know, I will always miss back those days. Yeah, it's such a beautiful start, isn't it? Such a, especially your your dad had a partner that was really caring and loving. And so were you spending time with both parents or how did that work? So my dad came to Detroit and he asked my mother if he could bring me to, the first time he took me, he just brought me here um, to Baltimore, Maryland. And when he brought me, she was upset because he didn't do it honestly. And so she came back and got me. But then she, after she came back and got me and took me back, and then I guess they talked and worked things out. And he asked her if I can come and stay with him. Okay. And he came and got me and I came and stayed with him. And it was a couple of years that I did not see my mom. I would talk to her and she would send me things. But she was living in Detroit. She was working. She was a model. And she had my sisters. So, you know, and my dad just wanted me to be with him. So you had sisters and your mom was busy. And so you were just taken by yourself into your dad's home. And you had this lovely woman there, this, this mother figure, and everything was really good. So did you stay in that area? Is that where you lived for a long time? So we stayed in that area for several years, and then they broke up. When they broke up, I remember my father taking me to live with my grandmother, which is his mother. And she lived with my aunt 
and her children. And my dad would come and get me and come and see me every now and then. And so was that a good time in your life when you were staying at your grandmother's? No. That was not a good time for me because that is where my sexual abuse first started there with, you know, cousins. And I remember just being very depressed. I didn't know it was depressed at that age because I was about eight years old at the time. And I remember just being very sad all the time. And I would look at my cousins and I would envy them because I felt like they had their mother and they had their father. And it, it, it caused me to have a lot of insecurities, you know, and it just, my, my self-worth started creeping away from me because I found myself looking at them and wishing that I had my mom and my dad like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's confusing, isn't it, when you're only eight and neither of your mum or dad is around and you're around a whole bunch of other people who are your family, but you don't know them that well. And of course, that's really difficult. So what was actually going on there in the dynamics of the cousins? So I had a cousin who would she would have me to do inappropriate sexual things with her. And then her brother was a lot older. I think he was, I know he was in high school at the time. And, you know, he would molest me as well. And all of this was new to me because I had never experienced this. And I didn't know to tell, to talk about it. You know, I just instantly, I felt ashamed. And so at that age, when you feel ashamed about things for me, because other people may have handled it different, but I just felt like I needed to keep it in. I didn't think that it was something that should be talked about. I didn't want, you know, my cousins being angry with me or me being looked at like I tell everything. So you know, and back then in my family, it was always what goes on in my family stays in my family. So you just didn't talk about these things. These things wasn't normal to talk about. Yeah. And it's so funny, isn't it? That we're, we can only be eight years of age and yet we know we have to keep silent about it. You know, yeah. why, why we don't run out and say, this is what's happening to me. It's, it's so weird that we just keep it so quiet was anyone telling you to keep it quiet well I remember I remember my cousin saying to me if you say something that I'm gonna tell because I used to steal change out of my aunt's glass jars and I would buy candy from the candy store and then I would put the rest in church because I used to walk to the corner church and put the coins in the church oh how beautiful and, and, you know, I would take part of it and get candy so that when I'm sitting in church, I could eat the candy and put the rest in the church. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. So how long were you in that situation? I was in that situation for about two years. I lived there with my grandmother for two years before she moved into a um, senior citizen building. 
And when she moved in a senior citizen building, I couldn't go with her. So then I was moved to another cousin's house. And when I moved to this particular cousin's house, I just always felt alone. And I feel like once my dad dropped me off, he would say, oh, I'm coming to get you or I'm coming past to see you. And I would sit on the steps and I would just cry because he wouldn't show up. And when I moved to this particular cousin's house, he spent a lot of time around in that area. So I was able to see him a little more. But at that time, I was going to an elementary school where I would walk to the elementary school. When I walked to that elementary school, I remember having a modern dance teacher and I will never forget her name. It was Miss Knowles. <laughs> but she would always she would always make you feel important. She always made her girls feel like you had somebody to come to. She was very affectionate. She was very compassionate. She was very passionate about the things that she did and the way that she taught us modern dance. And you could just look at her life and tell that that was her passion. Yeah. And I remember dancing and looking out and you will always see all of these kids with family and I would never have anybody there to support me and I think that started causing me to feel very insecure very it was just eating away at me you know I think that when I started I started out being real excited about dancing. And I saw, uh, the excitement started to fade away because I think I looked out here at this audience and there was nobody there to support me. She always made me feel like she believed in me and she was so excited for me. But seeing other kids with their moms and dads there to see them, giving them flowers, I didn't get that. So it just made my heart feel sad all the time at that time. And living with this particular cousin, I would always laugh and be running up and down the street. And I felt myself learning how to people please at a very young age. Yeah. Yeah, it's complete abandonment, isn't it? And there's just nobody there for you at all. And so... Of course, you know, then, then we do learn to people please because we're so insecure and we're so abandoned that we're just trying to get that love, I guess, that you weren't really feeling. Did you feel love from anywhere in your world at that time? Well, I feel like I knew that my father loved me and I knew that my mother loved me. I just... I just started feeling like I was a burden to people. Yeah. You know, you know how you'll say, um, oh, I need this or I need that. Go sit down, go sit down. You know, it was just, you know, it wasn't like, oh, here, let me take care of that for you. Come here, give me a hug. How was your day? You know, and as I think about it, it was just, I just felt like I was just a kid that just existed with no police. Mm. 
Yeah. I existed with no place. Yeah. Yes, it's it's very hard, isn't it? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. So you you were at the second cousin's place now. How long did you stay there? I stayed there for about a year because my mother ended up moving from Detroit and she moved down to Baltimore and she came and got me. So as I live with my mom. She had gotten married. She had gotten into church really, really heavy where she was making me wear dresses every day. And I come from being able to wear jeans and tennis shoes all the time (laughs) to wearing ankle socks (laughs) with these dresses on. And I was miserable because I felt like she was gone for so long that I, I liked the fact that we were building a relationship, but as we were building that relationship, I felt like she had this man in her life and I did not know him. All I was used to was my dad. And so he was trying to, I felt like he was trying to take my dad's role and I just did not like him. I did not. It was something about him that just weirded me, weirded me out, you know, and I, my mother was taking me to church constantly. She was into holiness churches. And at this time I was going to Baptist church. So I didn't understand the holiness church, the speaking in tongues. And I didn't understand that at all. And so it used to scare me, you know, and I used to hear them like putting anointing oil on people and, you know, casting out spirits and all of this stuff. And I'm just looking like, what? This is, this is not my dad's life, you know, because my dad had 14 brothers and sisters. We have my, there was a huge family. So, you know, we've had, I had a lot of aunts, a lot of cousins. And on my mother's side, the family was kind of smaller. And when she was taking me to these churches, I I just did not feel comfortable and I did not like this man at all. And I didn't like him for my mom. He just reminded me of a mean person would be nice in front of the church. But when we came home, he was just a different person. And then I had a younger sister that I didn't want to leave, but at the same token, I wanted to be with my dad. So again, I stayed with my mom for about a year and a half. 
And then my dad came and took me from my mom again. Wow. So it's a lot of moving around, isn't there, for you? No stability whatsoever. Yeah. And that's and hard, I, isn't it? Because you don't feel like you really belong anywhere, I suppose. Right. Because when I was with my dad, you know, he was with a girlfriend. They broke up. We had to move. You know, he got another girlfriend. They broke up. We had to move. So, I, I, you know, I bounced around a lot and did not have stability. So the last time I moved with my dad, I was going to, I had just started my first year of high school, ninth grade, and my father started looking at me different. He began to tell me stuff like, I want you to try these clothes on because you, you might need to be in a fashion show for me. And he started making me change into this lingerie stuff. And then he would, he started taking my towel out of the bathroom. When I would have to, when I would go in the bathroom, he would come in the bathroom and take my towel out of the bathroom or take my clothes out of the bathroom so that I would have to walk out either in the towel or with no towel. And I would have to tiptoe to my room. He would, he started making me watch porn and I would ask him, you know, I don't like watching this. You know, if it made me feel very uncomfortable and he'll say, just shut up. You, you're acting simple. I'm just trying to teach you how to be a woman, you know, and after he began to do things like that, he would start being manipulative and he would put on underwear and he would have on boxers and have himself exposed as if he didn't have himself exposed. I mean, clearly, you know, and so at this point, my anxiety was just, I think I got PTSD at that point, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, just having anxiety, the way that he would call my name, Latarsha, you know, and he would, I would tremble because I would say, what I do, what I do, you know, and just always thinking that I did something. And then I never forget it. I was sitting in the living room and he had cocaine inside of a dollar bill with a straw. And he told me, you know, you need to just take a line. And I said, well, what is that? And he showed me how to do it. And he said, I want you to do this. And I said, dad, I said, I don't want to do that. And he said, girl, just stay here. I'm trying to show you something and you sit up there, you don't want to do something. And I'm trying to teach you something, you know, and, and then I took the line and, you know, because I never wanted my dad to be angry with me. And from that point on, that was his way of grooming me so that he can begin to molest me. And I think that a lot of times we use the word molest because we like to sugarcoat the word rape, but it's actually rape. And so as he began to rape me repeatedly, I just became numb. And I suppressed it and I would not talk about it to anyone. I would go to school with a smile on my face and I just did whatever my father wanted me to do because I just wanted to make him happy. I just wanted to be with my dad. Oh my gosh. And I wanted to feel loved by him. Yeah. And it was a time where I got so depressed 
my uncle, which is my mother's brother, he was a lot younger. You know, he was only a couple of years older than me. And him and his friend was in his room and he had the he had some cocaine out. And I said, what are y'all doing? And he said, we snorting some cocaine. He said, you want some? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'll just I'll give it here. You know, and at this point, I caused myself wanting to numb the pain. And when I did it, I remember that particular night. When I did it, I, it was almost like I started having chest pains. I told my grandmother and my mother what I had done. And they, because I was at my grandmother's house on my mother's side, I was bidding because my father would drop me off or, you know, my mom would pick me up, you know, they would meet and my mother was upset. So she called my father and that particular night she called my dad and he came to the hospital and they said she had like a minor heart attack because they mixed some drugs together and when they did that, I didn't know what it was. I just, if I, when I see something white at that time, I just automatically assumed that it was cocaine. And my father took me home that night. When he took me home that night, he said, oh, you're gonna snort cocaine with somebody else? He said, well, you're gonna snort some more and I bet you you'll never snort it with anybody else again. And he had me doing it again. And my heart was racing and he was doing it. And I'll never forget that night because that was the night I conceived my son. Yeah. And I had suppressed that for so long that I could not remember that night until 2015 when I was going through a horrible di divorce. And what age were you at that time when you conceived your son? I was 18 when I um, conceived my son. I was, yes, I was 18. I was in my last year of high school. Wow. Oh my gosh, Latasha, that's, I just want to take a moment just to acknowledge everything that you've said. I mean, you went through hell basically, and you were just a child. You had nobody on your side whatsoever and it's yeah it's just criminal it's criminal what happened to you you must yeah you must have just by that stage have been totally numb just no feeling no no connection nobody you were you were not able to reach out to a single human to help you well, I think that the reason why I could not reach out to anyone is because of the manipulation of, I always felt guilty. I didn't want to make my father upset or angry. I didn't want him mad at me at all. And when, because I get this question a lot, so I'm just going to put it out there, but a lot of people would say, well, why would you keep the baby? And I kept my son because I wanted to feel loved. I wanted that bond of having a child and that child loving you unconditionally. 
And at the time I had met this guy and he liked me at first. And then, you know, I didn't really um, like him or wanted to get into any kind of relationship because I was just battling everything that I was going through. My husband now lived directly across the street from me and my dad. And he was my safe person. I never told him about my abuse, but I would call him and say, hey, my father acting crazy. Can you come and knock on the door and ask, can I come out? So he would be shaking, knocking on the door saying, can Latasha come out? You know, and I, I, could, I couldn't go with him, but I could come out on the front. And eventually my stepmother, which was my father's wife at the time, had asked my father, can I go to his prom? She talked to him to, you know, she convinced him to allow me to go to the prom. So I went to his prom and everything. And him and I had lost contact for over 30 years. And that is my now husband. But prior to that, when at the time when he broke up with me back then, cause he was getting ready to go away to college and he was going into the military. And I was devastated because he didn't know the trauma that I was going through, but that was my safe, that was at my safe space, you yeah. know? And it wasn't until he broke up with me and then, you know, and I was still in my last year high school and I met this guy. And when I met him, I started talking to him and I started pushing myself on him because I was pregnant. And so I was early pregnant. And I told him that he was the father. I said, I'm pregnant. You know, we dated for a couple of months. And then I told him I was pregnant. And he said, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep it? I said, yeah, I'm going to keep it. And I thought that that was my way of getting away from my dad because I ended up moving in with him because he had his own apartment. And that was my escape of getting away. And when I got away and him and I had dated, I think for about, after I had my son, we stayed together for about two years. And then I ended up leaving him. And when I left him, I had suppressed it so much that I did not remember that this was not his child. It was so, I suppressed it so much that I didn't even ever think about it because I blocked it out of my mind and I just lived my life like this is our child together and we're going to raise him together. And, you know, and I named my son after him. Years later, I got into church really heavy and my conscience was bothering me. And I remember I was in my, I was about 27 or 28 and I went to him and I said, we need to talk. And he said, okay. And I met him on his job and we sat in a car and I, the tears was just pouring out my face. And I said, I have to tell you something. And I said, this is going to devastate you. And I was just crying. I was like, you're going to hate me. And I said, Tracy's not your son. I said, he's my father's son. And his response was to me. He leaned over and hugged me and squeezed me in his arms and said, Tracy is my son. And he said, I already knew. Oh. And he said, 
I never wanted to hurt you. He said, don't ever change his birth certificate. He said, he is my son. What a beautiful man. My goodness. He was like an angel, I think, that came in just when you needed him, right? It was just, yeah. uh, wow. Oh, my gosh, what a beautiful person to have in your life. And and just this, just that reaction is just, it's just so beautiful, so beautiful. Wow, this is one of the hardest stories, right? And I just love Latasha. She has been through hell and she is just such an exquisite soul. The time I spent with her was incredibly special. Next week, we are going to hear how everything that happened to Latasha impacted her life as an adult, the incredibly difficult years and the healing, and where Latasha is now in her life journey. I look forward to connecting with you then. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique, your journey is unique, and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious, and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week.